Episode 39, Mike Bayer, Employee Bridge. Welcome to Gut Plus Science. Analytics about people. Insights for executives. Truth you can act on. A high-energy, fast-paced, results-oriented exchange featuring employee engagement evangelist and CEO, your host, Nikki Llewellyn. All right, Gut Plus Science listeners, I can't tell you how many times I get done recording an episode and run to my team and say, this was the best one yet, or I love that guy or that gal. This one is no different. I feel like we're getting to talk to the Dalai Lama of culture or something today on the show. And P.S., in case you can't tell, I am so grateful for the support of you all in this show. I love it. So when I think about how I feel when I talk to this guy, it's care. He genuinely cares about the thousands of employees at his company and the millions of lives that they get to affect in the work that they do and the communities that they serve. So genuine care. Nothing says care like taking the time with your people and listening, like really listening to them. Want to be seen as a coach to your people? Well, listen. Want to be seen as a great leader? Listen. Ask them open-ended questions and just listen. Take the time and tie back what you're hearing to the work that they do and make a habit of this. It's just incredible. And then community involvement. Of course, companies exist to be profitable and to serve their mission. However, excellent companies like the one you're going to hear about today, they serve communities where they do business. So I ask you, how is your business and your employees, how are you all serving the communities that you work? So our fabulous guest today, Mike Bayer, is the epitome of all of this. He's the chief development officer at EmployBridge, a company comprised of thousands of hearts on legs employees. Uh, Mike is a 20-year veteran at EmployBridge and the key leader of their incredible culture. He's also a big dog lover and his pup, Callie, is hanging out right next to him, next to the mic on this episode. Pretty fun. You will find this episode enlightening, I promise. So stop what you're doing for the next 30 minutes, or if you're like me, you listen on 1.5 speed, so you can cut it in half and just get as much value. But um, let's get in the zone with Mike Bayer. We'll be right back after we hear from today's Gut Plus Science sponsor. Are you still using Pulse surveys? How about annual questionnaires? If your organization relies on either of these, it's time to discover Amplify. Amplify has created a new way to measure employee engagement. It's where CEOs who want to know what's really happening within a workforce go to get honest feedback and to understand what needs to change for people to love their work. Companies that have used Amplify have increased productivity by as much as 30% in just three months. Best of all, it's not just data that Amplify provides. Executives get hands-on coaching with engagement specialists, people who know exactly what to do with the data. To see their latest research on employee engagement, visit Amplify.com. All right. And we're back. It feels like Christmas morning to me today. I am giddy. We get to learn from an outstanding people leader who is an, as authentic as they come and is in a role that was made for him as a global people leader. He's also incredibly passionate about giving back and spending time with family. We are about to get a glimpse of how Mike Bayer balances it all and the way he thinks about attacking the talent challenges that the world faces today. He's super passionate about healthy culture. So let's welcome him and start right there. Mike, welcome to Gut Plus Science, how do you define a healthy culture? Thanks, Nikki. You know, there's a lot of different ways people will talk about culture, but when I, I think about a culture, I would say is a healthy or fruitful culture. Some of the words I think about are words like trust. I don't mean, you know, the sort of kumbaya that we all feel good being together. I mean that there's a high degree of confidence in one colleague uh, toward another. 
there's a sense of knowing how they'll behave, what they'll say, not the point of finishing their sentences, but the point that fear is, is taken out. You know, Edward Stemming one time said that one of the, the great things to do in, in leading or turning around a company is dr- to drive all fear from the workplace. And so the absence of fear, the, the, the presence of trust, the presence of confidence, one in another, that's the first thing I look for. And so from there, I think everything else comes out. I mean, when you have a trusting, confident, open sort of culture, sort of way of working together, then you have innovation. You know, innovation doesn't come under fear. And innovation comes when there's freedom from fear or you, sometimes you can feel the energy level. And I know that sounds a little bit odd to say you feel it, but, but people probably know what I'm talking about. You can walk into an office, you can walk into a factory, you, you can sense there's a healthy, positive uh, sense of, of energy and, and growth and, and life, if you want to put it that way. Another characteristic for me, I think about, is the organization really clear on its values? And, and I mean real values. I don't mean the classic, you know, you get a consultant to come in and walk you through an exercise and you come up with, uh, you know, we believe in this, we believe in that. What I think of when I say that is there's a set of shared beliefs, there's a set of shared behaviors that come from the heart. You know, we have a saying in our company, for example, we, we don't ever want to have to put the values on a poster on the wall. If they're not in the heart, if we're not united in our belief in, in honesty or, or family first is one of our core values, it, if, we're not, if it's not in the heart, there's really no point in talking about it. So I, I, I feel like that's sort of foundational. And then I think the last characteristic is people are actually growing in a healthy culture. It's just like if you think about a healthy climate, plants grow. If you think about a healthy family, children grow. And so if, if the people of the organization are not growing in their uh, their knowledge of the business, they're not growing in their self-confidence, they're, they're not growing in their skills, then something's missing. But when they are, when the culture's healthy, people thrive. And so those are the things I look for. It's what we spent most of our time trying to build. What a great way to level set and kick off the show. Positive energy, innovation, real uh, authenticity, and people are growing. I love that. So Mike, let's go down this path of ROI around culture. There are a number of leaders out there struggling with engagement today, struggling to attract, retain, develop, all of those things. From your perspective, help us understand how a healthy culture translates into ROI for a business. You know, Nikki, in the world of, of talent and talent development, that is sort of the holy grail that everybody wants to, to find a way to, to put a, a hard empirical number. This cultural belief, this cultural norm produce this dollar result or this market share change. And it's hard to prove that. I, I know everybody's trying to do it. I think we have to take an approach that says there's a little bit of a, um, an understanding of correlation. And sometimes correlation is based on cause and effect. Sometimes it's not. Uh, it's almost instinctive to say things like, you know, a healthy culture unlocks creativity, therefore uh, new products, new services, new marketing approaches, th- things coming out of that. I mean, that's, that's to me, that's instinctive. It's, it's almost intuitive to say, yes, that's true. I can't do cause and effect. I can't say this culture produced this idea that produced this dollar. I think when we get locked into that way of thinking, we, we run, we're kind of the, the dog chasing its own tail, if you will. But here's, here's some of the ways I do think about it. And I think it's helpful for business leaders in the C-suite and the management offices, wherever, to, to think about, for example, this one thing we call the success equation. And it's, it's based on the idea that, it, that it's the right values 
truly believe, truly articulate the right values, which most people would, would say is at least a huge part of culture, leads to the right culture. And from the right culture, you get the right people. You get the right people, not just from a competency standpoint. I mean, honestly, we don't hire for competency. We hire for attitude and beliefs. I can teach somebody just about anything if they want to learn it, but I can't teach them to be honest. I can't teach them to be passionate. So when I'm hiring, interviewing, we as a company, that, that's what we're looking at more than anything, uh, that the right values get the right culture that attracts the right people and the right people will, do, will get you the right results every time. The other thing, when you think about ROI, and I think all of us working with people understand the difference between energy and discretionary energy. Uh, what I'm looking for is not just the, I will show up and do my job. I will do what's expected of me. I will work hard, whatever that means. What, what I'm looking for is the idea of unlocking discretionary energy, that extra energy that is purely a matter of choice. Uh, you can't coerce it. You can't force it. It's 100% intrinsic. How do you unlock that? How do you unlock the passion, the energy? How, how do you unlock the, the, the desire to serve people? How do you unlock the desire to, to solve problems? How do you release that? It's in all of us. There's not a person out there that doesn't have these traits. The question is, how do you in, enable people? I don't even think you can't make them do it. How do you enable them to attach this sort of intrinsic character, this intrinsic energy to what it is that, that you are liking and wanting them to do as a leader? When that happens, it, it, is, it is a beautiful thing. Uh, in our business, for example, we see people up going out to client sites at five in the morning. They don't have to do that. They do it because the client has an issue. And they want to do that. I, I could. There's no way I could compensate that. There's no way I could. I could dictate that. I, the only thing I can do, and the only thing we can do as a company, is to unlock that. And when you do, people will amaze you. They, they will absolutely astound you. Couldn't agree more. Great perspective. And I just love this unlocking discretionary energy thing. So I'm going to stick on that for a second. So think of someone or think of the people, Mike, who are in your life that exude that. Okay. What are the ingredients behind that from your perspective? Here's the shift that I'm trying to make for those that are listening. You know, we, we used to measure satisfied cultures or, or satisfied employees, right? And we've moved to the engagement. You know, we're trying to wrap our arms around that. Ultimately, if we get people who are bringing their discretionary energy, I mean, they're bringing 110% of themselves probably to work. So from your perspective, knowing the people that exude that, what are those ingredients behind that? Like, why is it? What is aligned that makes them come alive like that in the workplace? So part of it, Nikki, I think is we have to believe that everybody has it in them. And, and I don't know that that's an absolute universal, but I, if somebody doesn't have some sense of, of extra, I'm not sure you want them on the team to begin with. But Let's take, just for the sake of argument, that everybody shows up on a job wanting to do their best, uh, or at least capable of wanting to do their best. My job as a leader is to not impede that. You know, mo I, I believe most people show up wanting to do a good job, and managers mess it up. Uh, and we do it through a variety of ways. But if we could turn around our mistakes, the criticism instead of recognition, the hyper-direction versus turning people loose, the to-do list versus a, a passionate purpose and vision. If we could put the positives in play, most, I'm going to say most people, I, I know that's a, that's a broad sweeping statement, but I, I'm going to say most people will respond to that. Now, there's an old saying, you can't put in what God left out. And if somebody doesn't want to work and they don't want to do a good job and they just want a paycheck, 
well, they should probably go work somewhere else. Uh, but if they if they are the people that I want on my team, my job is to take away the chains, take away the barriers, take away the things that would cause somebody to disengage. You, you mentioned it. It's a great point that that, you know, we used to talk about employee satisfaction, just like we used to talk about customer satisfaction. And I remember a few years ago, it was uh, Jeff Gittimer who said that customer satisfaction is worthless. And he's absolutely right. It, what, so I'm satisfied. I go to McDonald's, I get a hamburger and a Coke. What's the benefit of that? I, mean, I got what I paid for. I'm not surprised. I'm not happy. And I'm not going to tell anybody about it. In the same way, if I've got employees who are just satisfied, it means they're, they're coming in and the air conditioner works and the computer works and they get their paycheck on time. And, but they're not going to go tell anybody about our company. They're not going to tell anybody about our purpose, our mission, our people. Our, they, they're not excited. And so when we've shifted to engaged, what I want is hyper-engagement. And that I cannot buy that. I cannot command it. I can't force it. I can't buy it. I, I, all I can do is invite it and create an environment where, where people can give it if they want to. I'm stealing the term hyper-engagement. Love it. But hey, let's talk on the flip side for a second. What are some of the effects you've seen when culture isn't healthy, or in your words, you call it culture infection that the company has? Like, What are the effects of that? Thankfully, I can say the company I'm with now and have been with for the last um, 20 years, we, we, we do have a very, very healthy and vibrant culture. But before that, I was a consultant for, for many years, working with a lot of different companies, large and small, government, private sector, you name it. So I got a pretty good exposure to what it looks like to have either a generally unhealthy culture, which is like a, a, a malaise. Um, it's like people are they're just not happy to be there. They don't want to be there. Or a cultural infection where I think there's a unit or sometimes just an individual who, who brings damage to everybody else that he or she comes in contact with. So some of the things you see in that is this odd. You see, you see or hear silence. People don't talk. They don't laugh. They, they don't banter. They, there's, there's just this absence of connection. They just go into their cubicle or they go into their office and they, they live in isolation because it's the only way they can survive the the drain, the, the negative energy. Uh, one person called them the energy vampires that are just sucking the life out of a company. When you see, we've all probably seen it one time or another in our career, when you see an atmosphere that's filled with criticism or politics or one-upmanship uh, or people stealing credit. I mean, th these are the things that we all read about. We all watch them in the, the TV shows about corporate America. And it's stuff's real. I mean, it's not something that some writer created. There, there are environments that you walk into, and the moment you walk in, you start thinking about how to get out. I, I use this analogy when talking to our new employees about culture, and I, and I ask them if they've ever had a pair of shoes that just really didn't fit, and they all laugh because everybody has. I said, what is it you think about all day when you are in that pair of shoes that doesn't fit? And Invariably, they will say, someone will say, I can't, I can't wait to get home and get them off. And that's the feel that comes with a with a toxic culture, with a with a culture that is that is negative. It's a drain, not a boost. And you find people they just can't wait to leave. They can't wait to to exit, whether it's leave the company and go work somewhere else, or just go home and kick the cat. You just got to leave. The the other side of that you see sometimes it's not necessarily an unhealthy culture as a whole, but let's say that you've got a leader. Uh, you know, person in a position of authority and influence, and they don't get the culture. 
they don't exude the values. They don't demonstrate the values. They, for whatever reason, are, are violating the values on a re- pretty regular basis. I saw that not too long ago. And a, a guy couldn't understand why a 360 that we did said the people trusted him, but they didn't believe he had their back. He didn't understand the difference between those two questions. And, and I was trying to explain that, well, they think you're an honest guy. They just don't believe that you are there for them. To- totally different distinction. That That is more common than a totally global, horrible culture. And I, I will tell you that, that the, really about all you can do is, is cut out the infection. You, it, there's not a lot of fixing that. And I wish there was, but I haven't seen that happen very often. Okay, so let's talk about people who don't fit culture. From your perspective, what are the typical scenarios about the types of people that don't fit? And then you're talking about cutting out the infection. What does that look like for leaders that just might struggle? Maybe they've never really done it before or they're up against something right now. Like, How do you suggest approaching it? So, yeah, let's back away just a second. I I think there are, if we're getting down to individuals, there's two ways of looking at it. There are those who simply either don't know how, and I think they can be taught uh, and coached, there are, or there are those who are going through a particular rough patch in their life at the time. Let's say they're going through a, a divorce or they've just had a major product failure and the stress is causing behaviors and, and displays of attitude that, that are unhealthy. That, that, to me, is a totally different scenario than someone who comes in that just truly doesn't get it. And maybe an honest person, for example, but they aren't an encouraging person. Or they may be a, a person with integrity, but they're not a person with a passion to develop those around them. So when you see that there are fundamental elements of, again, we defined healthy culture when we started, fundamental elements of building trust and, and, and unleashing discretionary energy and creating a, an environment where people can be confident with each other and, and take the risk that it requires to grow. If they don't have those basic things, Normally, if it's a generally healthy culture, but they don't fit, the culture will expel them. You know, culture defines, on the one hand, who you are as a company. It also defines who you're not. And when somebody is simply not that company, they need for their own sake, they need to go somewhere else. That is good. So when we talk about, you talked about uh, examples of uh people expelling someone from the culture. Can you expand on that just a little bit for people that maybe are hearing this for the first time? What does that look like? <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it looks, I guess it looks different in different situations. It can be a, a very aware leader realizing that he or she needs to step up and just ask somebody to move on. By the way, it doesn't mean the person's a bad person. I want to make sure we're not thinking this as, a, as an evil uh, Darth Vader sort of manager. It may be that, but it may be something as simple as they just like a guy I remember coaching years and years ago, he could not get away from the backhanded compliment. So when he would tell you you had done something well, it was always in comparison to something you hadn't done well before. Something along the lines of, well, wow, Nikki, this meal is a lot better than the last one you cooked. And you just go, well, that didn't feel right. So sometimes it's just that. It's just the, the, the inability to communicate in a way that works within that culture. So in some cases, a leader coming in saying, we're going to do coaching. Sometimes it's a leader saying, you need to not find another life. I mean, we've more often than not, the people that we've had to ask to leave our company have been cultural misfits. They, we thought they were going to make it. We thought they were going to do well. They, they didn't lack competency, but they just didn't fit the way we choose to live together as a company. We have a hundred and some odd thousand employees. So it's a, a broad based culture. 
So when you look at that, you say, okay, um, that's one thing that happens. The other, and this is, um, I hope this comes out right, but if a group of people have a leader or have an employee, it doesn't have to be a leader, have somebody on the team that doesn't fit, that violates the culture, that violates the values, that violates the, the chosen way of doing business. It's all about choice. They will, whether it's just ostracizing that person, confronting that person, or sometimes that person just finally gets the message, this place is not for me. A healthy culture is always inclusive of, the, of everything that fits and exclusive of everything that doesn't. So in our world, for example, honesty is, is our number one value. There's simply no room for dishonesty. The quickest way in the world to get terminated from our company is to lie. Not fail, not make a mistake, not screw up, but just to lie. And so that's that's the kind of thing I think about, that culture, strong culture is almost palpable. It's almost tangible. And you know when you fit, you know when you don't. If you've ever traveled internationally, one of the advantages that, that we have, and I know I've gotten to do a good bit in my career, is that, that a culture, you, you don't really understand a culture until you look at it from the outside. It's like one writer said, I don't know who it was who discovered water, but I know it wasn't fish. You, you have to get outside of a culture and look at it from the outside in to understand. So if you've gone to another part of the world, you've gone to Southeast Asia, for example, or you've gone to, to Central Asia, or you've gone to South Africa or North Africa, someplace that's very different from where we personally live, you see their culture instantly. You may not understand it, but you see it in ways even they don't. And so I think that understanding of how this works is where that, that power comes from. So, Mike, from your perspective, when it comes to retention, or let's go as far as to say hyper-engagement, what are the KPIs to keep your eye on as a leader? What What is at the top of the list? Let me answer that two ways. One is the pure KPI. The other, I would say to anybody on this uh, podcast that, that is thinking about this, you have to be out with the people. You know, I, I could live my, the rest of my life and never get on another airplane and I'd be happy. I've even had my main airline, Delta, apologize to me for, for me flying so much. But some of it is just literally it's Tom Peters concept of management by walking around in, in my world and others in our company, for example, it's management by flying around. You just have to be there. You have to just to, you have to get the sense, the feel, the 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 energy level. You have to just be there. That's that's the out there answer. But the others, there are three in particular that that. I watch very keenly. One is we have an annual engagement survey uh, that we've done, and we've measured that for about 17 years now. And, and it's, it's a lot of different questions, but the, the main question we always come back to is what has now become the, the net promoter score uh, concept. But we have always asked, would you recommend working here to a family or friend? And we have seen that hover in the mid-80s all the way up to 97% which is that we, we applied for one of those 100 best places to work uh, awards and they, they kicked the data back. <laughs> they said, we don't believe that. So I, I sent them all the raw data. They said, okay, you're right. The people really do believe that. So I, I think that's, you know, that's one thing. We also do periodic and, and ad hoc pulses. And a lot of organizations are doing it now. There's a lot of technology where you can pop out a quick NPS question or another question just to get the, a quick read of your folks. You know, I think that whole idea of, of don't don't overdo it, but I want to know what 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 are the folks thinking. Sometimes I'll do one region only, or one division only, or one position only, just to get a, a feel uh, and try to put that that mosaic together. 
And then one of the things that, that's very easy to watch, and I think it's very telling, is is turnover, but not just turnover in general, but turnover by by region or division or location. And if I start to see, and this goes back to my background in statistical process control, if I start to see a trend, we used to define that as seven data points in a row. If the trend is, of turnover is moving up, that's a, that's an early warning signal. That, that's a, that's a red flag saying you got to come over here and look at me. Because something something is going wrong if all of a sudden you go from a 12% turnover or 8% turnover to 32%. And that didn't happen overnight. You got If you catch it early, you can get there and, and figure it out and, and typically fix it. So those are the three big things, Nikki, that I look at. I'm sure other people have, have better measures than that, but those have served us well. And Mike, I want to go back to the be there, the being present thing and flying and having, you know, face-to-face time with people. How do you know as a leader how often is enough? There's no such thing as enough. It really isn't. I mean, we have 500 locations. I, I couldn't be in all of them even annually if I wanted to. So, and I'm not the only one. I mean, there's a whole slew of us that we are out there uh, with the people, not just for the purpose of observing. I mean, our job is to be with the people. It's just that's that's where it happens. But I used to say, this is a, a weird rule of thumb, but I used to say that if I knew everybody's name when I walked in a location, except for the newest hires, then I'd been there enough. Now that we have so many employees, I can't do that. I have to figure out what level I should know everybody. You know, we, we have you know, several hundred managers. I, I should at least know all the managers. Well, I may not be able to know everybody in the company. So I think you have to sort of gauge the, the question of, you know, do I know these people? Because if I'm just a suit flying in for a little town hall meeting and off I go, like a seagull, that's more than enough. <laughs> they don't want that. But if I'm, if I'm out there enough to get to know the people I need to get to know, whatever level that is, um, and that's not hierarchical, that's just a management concept, then, I, then that's enough. So if you could pick one thing to challenge our listeners with today, what would it be? Well, it's this. I mean, it's just probably we've talked all around this uh, on this broadcast, but I would look and say to the, to everybody here, whatever role you're in, whether you're a CEO, COO, or, or you know, supervisor, or even a even a, a new hire, culture comes culture comes from the leader, pure and simple. Uh, the leader sets the tone. The leader sets the example. The leader makes certain that the the culture is understood, that it is reinforced, that it's rewarded, that it's protected. Um, that it's taught, that it's developed. And so I think the, the question I would ask would be, forget the posters on the wall, forget the little, you know, back of your business card or whatever things you put in people's cubicles. Ask, ask yourself, what, your, what would your team, whether it's all your employees if you're a CEO or two employees if you're a supervisor, what would they say about your culture if all they got was to look at you? There's no word, no lessons, no posters, no mission statements. How would they describe your culture simply by watching you? Good. Mike, I think this was the fastest 30 minutes on Gut Plus Science, fully loaded with wise insight on leadership. Thank you so much. Let's take a quick break, hear from our sponsor message today, and then we'll come back to what we call our lightning round, where we get to learn just a little bit more about the personal side of you. So we'll be right back. In our conversations with CEOs and hiring managers, we hear they're frustrated with traditional recruiting. From outrageous fees to focusing on candidates before clients, the process was broken and needed to be fixed. Enter Titus Talent. Titus Talent Strategies serves its clients using passionate people, a proven process, and unparalleled performance. 
Oh, and did we mention they guarantee the performance of their candidates for 12 months? If you want to learn how they're disrupting the recruitment space, head over to TitusTalent.com. That's T-I-T-U-S-T-A-L-E-N-T.com. All right, Mike, welcome back to Gut Plus Science. This is what we call our lightning round, where we ask you a few questions. You just give us some short answers and get some insight on you. So um, first up, what's your favorite book or one that you would recommend today? Yeah, the fa- <laughs> my favorite book is usually the one I'm reading at the moment. But one that I've read recently that I, I really am recommending to everybody is called Essentialism by uh, Greg McEwen. And it's a, it's a brilliant, brilliant book, very easy read that boils your business, it boils your life, it boils your choices down to what he refers to as the vital few. And just that concept of getting to what what matters most to me and doing that today, That's that I would recommend that to anybody. Fantastic book. How about a favorite vacation spot? Oh, Gulf of Florida. We've been going every single year. We go to the Panhandle, which is my girls were 12 years old, and my oldest now is now 40. So we've been doing that for 28 years and absolutely love it. Very cool. Awesome. So what's a favorite hobby when you're not working? Hiking Um, and specifically hiking with my wife. My wife is an avid trekker, uh, backpacker, uh, climber. I am none of those things. I like hiking. So that's hiking with her is, is probably my favorite. Oh, sounds lovely. So how can our listeners connect with you after the show, Mike? Two ways. I have a a website. uh, It's mikebear.co. You're welcome to go there. Uh, .com.co. And the other would feel free to email me. Uh, My email is mike.bear, B-A-E-R, at employbridge.com. And be happy to interact with anybody. Love to get a dialogue going and, and, and learn from each other. All right. Told you guys, Mike Bayer is something, huh? This brings us to the truth you can act on section of Gut Plus Science. So it's a summarization of the show or the key takeaways. Number one, hire for attitude and beliefs. We've heard this many times, but the Dalai Lama just confirmed it. You know, you can train for skills. So what attitude are you looking for and what kind of mindset do you need in your people? Are you clear on that? Make sure you and your team know this before your next hire. Number two, strive to unlock discretionary energy. So there are satisfied employees, engaged employees, and then there are employees that give discretionary energy in their role. Study those people and figure out how to help others get there. So study those people in your organization that are giving that discretionary energy and then take employee engagement up a notch by figuring out what to do to elevate that. Uh, Number three, a healthy culture is when people are confident and not fearful. Of course, we all want this. That's why we spend time listening to shows like Up Plus Science. Now, how are you measuring to truly know where you stand? So do employees feel confident? Do they feel psychologically safe? Get a baseline and then build on it. So Mike, rock on. Great show. Until next time, guys. Bye-bye. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.